Hi everyone, I'm Paula Diana and this is Unleashed the Game Changers. Today our guest is the victim of a very unfair fact that happened last May. I want to talk about uh, what happened to him because uh, I, I was really shocked when I read about on Twitter. He was expelled by his university while he was studying to become a psychotherapist. And now we will hear his story and his truth. Thank you, James Esses, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, James, I know you are very busy because you have a job and you're also taking a legal case that uh, is quite important for your life because uh, everything changed last May. Can you tell us what happened to you? So I, I was on a psychotherapy master's degree. I was three years into it. Um, I decided to completely transition into a new career. I wanted to spend my life as a therapist helping people. You were a barrister before. Yes, Correct. before that I was a barrister. And this all began because I started volunteering at Childline, which is a children's charity, as a, as a volunteer counsellor. So every week I would speak to young people who were distressed, ranging from bullying to self-harm, uh, abuse at home. Um, but I, I noticed over the years that I was counselling there that more and more of them were coming through talking about feeling trapped in the wrong bodies and, and saying that they had gender dysphoria. Which ages there were these children? Um, all, all sorts of ages, but the, I mean, the youngest I would speak to I, on this topic was probably about seven or eight. So sometimes very young, hadn't even hit puberty themselves, but yeah. were saying that they were convinced that they were in the wrong body. So this made you feel interested in this topic because at, at the time you didn't know very well what gender dysphoria was, correct? Correct. I, I didn't know much about it, but I, I felt this is clearly something that's on the increase and these young people are very distressed. So I took it upon myself to, to immerse myself in, in all of the research and the studies and, and the type of treatments that these young people were being given. You know, and what I discovered I was, I was pretty shocked by um, in terms of the numbers of young children being put on puberty blockers and, and, and going on to kind of powerful cross-sex hormones. Um, so I, I began to get concerned and I began to start speaking out about this. But sorry, James, you started becoming concerned because uh, you also had uh, some children or adults who actually changed their minds after being treated with uh, cross-sex hormones. Cool. Is this the case? So you had uh, what people say, the transitioners coming to you? Correct. I, I'd spoken to some young people who felt that they were kind of put down a certain path by medical professionals or even by their teachers or sometimes even by their parents, but they ended up regretting it yes um and that again opened up the whole world of detransitioners to me that wasn't a term that i previously knew and before long i was discovering that there were quite a lot of people out there who had had irreversible you know damage done to them because of this medication and sometimes even surgery that they had undergone yeah like the case of kirabel correct well exactly i mean kirabel is kind of case in point um and the fact that there are young women out there who've had double mastectomies and who are potentially infertile because of medication that they were kind of, or had the surgery that they were almost encouraged to take. Very concerning. So, James, that's why you started studying psychotherapy, correct? Correct. Uh, you know, I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing this. I really enjoyed helping people in this way. It's why I started on this master's degree. It's a five-year course, so it's a lot of training. 
Um, but I was three years into it. I was just about to set up my own private practice. I'd been given permission by my university to do that. Um, and then this all hit the fan. Um, it started because I was concerned about conversion therapy legislation that I was told the government were going to introduce, banning conversion sure. therapy. And we can talk a bit more about what that of means course. in a bit. But um, I had seen that happen in other countries and some of the language in the legislation had gone too far and basically there were therapists abroad who felt that they couldn't work with clients with gender dysphoria because the legislation basically would force them to almost affirm someone down a path of transitioning. Of course. So if I'm a child and I come to you telling you, you know, uh, I think I'm trapped in the wrong body, the only thing you can do is affirming what I say if this legislation passed, correct? Well, that was the concern. Yes. And, and, and based on the wording used in other countries, that, that was a real concern and shared by a number of colleagues of mine in, in the therapy profession. So I, I started a group called Thoughtful Therapists, which was a group of therapists concerned about this. And one of the first things that we did was we started a petition to the government, basically saying conversion therapy is really awful, but we need to make sure that we safeguard explorative therapy for children who feel trapped in the wrong bodies. Sure. Um, so I did that. I got about 10,000 signatures pretty quickly, which meant that the government had to respond to us. Uh, and I was doing some other media and publicity at the time. And then pretty much one day, I received an email from the university which I was studying telling me that I was being expelled immediately. Just like that, no other explanation. So, so basically t two days before that email, I had received a, an email from the deputy CEO of, of, of where I was studying. It's, it's called Metanoia Institute. It's like a psychotherapy institute. Um, and she invited me in for an informal conversation because she said there had been a few complaints made about me. But she didn't detail the complaints. She didn't provide me with any evidence. But she reassured me it was just an informal conversation. There was nothing to be worried about. Um, 24 hours later, I had an email drop into my inbox with the subject line termination of contract and it was a two paragraph email and I was being told that actually they had basically changed their minds and that I brought them into disrepute and therefore the only option was to expel me with immediate effect. That's incredible. So only because of your free speech, only because you were actually saying that sex is immutable, correct? Well, exactly. I mean, ev everything I was saying was grounded in my kind of biological beliefs that sex is binary, it's immutable, gender dysphoria is a mental health condition, and we should treat it as such. Sure. Um, but all they could point to was the petition and a few other interviews that I'd given about the petition. Um, so they don't believe in free speech in this university? Well, it would seem so, which is strange, because when I've gone back and read their own kind of ethical code, they say that they actively encourage discussion and debate, which is, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's it, very scary. It's very scary because universities and educational institutions should be the one place where free speech is not only protected, but you know, encouraged. Of course. of course, it should totally be. I mean, it's quite concerning what's happening in the United Kingdom now because we have the case of Kathleen Stock, the professor was harassed for almost three years mm. and we have your case as a student and you were actually completely expelled you couldn't even discuss with them so they made the decision yeah. and now they ruined your life because you can't be a therapist correct well not not as things currently stand because i you know i was only part way through my training um 
but yes, I never received any evidence from them. They never pointed me towards any policies. I, I was never given a single opportunity to actually have a conversation with anyone. But what is an exploratory therapy, uh, the type of therapy you think is the one that everyone should uh, you know, provide to mm. gender dysphoric people? Can you explain to us? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the type of therapy that one should use in relation to any client who's coming to see you for any issue. Because as a therapist, it's, it's your ethical duty to explore what is going on for the person in front of you, to, to not go in with a predetermined outcome. If I have an affirmation approach, if I say, no matter who comes in front of me, if they say they're trans, I will affirm them into transitioning, that's a predetermined outcome. What we should be doing is listening to that person, exploring what has led to them feeling this way, including things that may have happened to them in their past. I mean, a lot of research shows quite high comorbidities between gender dysphoria and things such as you know, previous traumatic experiences or bullying at school or even things like internalized homophobia. So there can be a lot of things in the and mix. Sexual abuse. Yeah, sexual abuse as For well. For girls, it's actually quite, uh, unfortunately, quite common, right? Mm. I think it's very uh, normal what you're saying. I'm not an expert, but I know as an example that if an anorexic girl comes to a psychotherapist uh, to a practice, they will never affirm her, telling her, yes, you're fat, you should need a liposuction. They will actually try to help her love her body and, you know, solve this distress. Mm. And it's, ne it's yeah, completely, it's never about telling the other person that they don't feel that way because they clearly do. And gender dysphoria can be a highly distressing condition. I mean, to have that feeling like you're trapped in the wrong body can be absolutely horrific. But it's, it's being respectful and it's acknowledging how they're feeling. But it's also your duty to try and figure out with them what's caused all of this. But especially for children, right? Because as an adult, uh, uh, you know, you, you can make your choices. You can also make mistakes. I mean, we all do mistakes. Mm. But with children, I think we should have uh, higher standards. We should safeguard them more. So I, I, I looked into your case and what you write, and uh, I think that you're very, very uh, interested in children's lives, you know, and the fact that we don't want to ruin their lives forever. Because these cross-sex hormones, uh, they have, uh, I mean, irreversible effects, correct? Mm. Can you tell us more about the effects of these uh, hormone therapies? Yeah, and I think it's worth starting by saying that actually, because this is all quite, re you know, quite new treatment, yes. there haven't been long-term studies done into the, the effects of these things. So there's, there's probably a lot more out there that we do not know. But when you're taking these type of hormones, it is possible, for example, for your sexual functioning to be impaired. It is possible for you to end up infertile you know for, for, for young girls who are taking this medication they can have um, permanent changes to their voice to their hair growth um, it can change things to do with your muscles as well and, and your bodies more generally but also it's the emotional impact that this has on somebody as well because you know you're, you're pumping your body with very very strong hormones um, and then of course there are some that go on to have surgery as well and we met we spoke earlier about double mastectomies yes. that more and more people i mean they refer to it casually as as top surgery it's called yeah. which is um it's a very casual way of describing what is a very serious operation yes yes no it, it's an amputation of an healthy part of your body so it has to be taken very seriously of course as an adult does that you know fine it's a decision they can consent 
but children, can they really consent? Can they really understand what's going on when they're eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old? What do you think? Well, the fact, as I said earlier, that I've had young people speak to me who haven't even hit puberty yet, and they're saying they're in the wrong bodies. I, I mean, puberty is actually, and it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I'm sure we can both remember back to when we were for girls, especially. Yeah, partic yeah, particularly for girls, and, and the, the chemical changes and the physical changes. And I think a lot of people don't quite know who they are and sometimes don't even feel that aligned with their body. I mean, it's not uncommon for girls to kind of, when they start developing breasts, to almost yeah. not want them. Yes. Particularly because of maybe negative attention they get from you know, some of the boys in their class in particular. Um, but actually it's that process of going through puberty, and again studies show this, that allows someone to become comfortable with who they are. So puberty blockers, I'm often hearing from activists that they're completely reversible. But are they? Because if we've disrupted somebody's natural puberty, the natural chemical changes going on in their body, how can we say that that's ever truly reversible? We, we've interrupted a body's natural function. Exactly, and also the brain development. It's not only you know the genitalia that are affected. Correct. It's your brain. So it's a very very delicate thing to do, and I, I'm scared this might become a medical scandal in the following years. I heard that in Sweden they're not uh, uh, giving puberty blockers anymore to uh, children mm. under 16. Yeah, they, I mean they've they've completely changed their approach based on evidence. You know, we have to come back to statistics. There's studies that show that for young people with gender dysphoria, if left untreated with medication, over 80% of them will eventually settle into their bodies. And maybe about 80% of them, they, they could become happy gay or happy lesbian, you know, people. This is what I heard about, you know, old studies. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's, again, there's a strong correlation between those who in adolescence present with gender dysphoria who eventually come out as gay. Yeah. I know that's a concern of the gay community at the moment, actually. That, you know, they're saying, well, this, by giving people this medication and transitioning, that is a form of conversion therapy because exactly. anecdotally, there's some cultures, I think, where parents would rather their children were you know, trapped in the wrong body and straight than yes. gay. I read about that. I read about uh, a mother in Texas. She had a girl. Uh, actually, no, he was born a boy and uh, he kept saying he was a girl, he was a girl, you know, since he was, I think, four or five and the mother was very happy to affirm, you know, her son because uh, suddenly she said she had a lovely girl who was going to church yeah. and he was very religious and she is a very religious person. So, you know, uh, homophobia is a fact, it's still among us. I think we shouldn't ignore that. Because the fact that our legislators, you know, they kind of ignore that when they talk about gender, I think this, they're missing something very important. Hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, they're happy to throw LGBT together, but we've got organizations like LGB Alliance now representing, you know, a large swathe of gay people in this country who are, who are very concerned for the reasons we've just spoken about in terms of what this might be doing to the gay community and to children who might be gay themselves. Of course, no. It, it's a very uh, difficult topic. Uh, um, myself, you know, I'm, I'm I'm still quite ignorant about that, and I, I'm reading a lot. Uh, I try to talk to people who know more than me. And uh, the interesting thing is that when uh, um, my friends, the people that I know, who are completely, uh, I mean, 
uh, in the total obscurity. They have no idea, you know, about what's going on. But when I tell them what's going on, they're actually quite pretty shocked because they all agree that we should safeguard children. They all agree that children can change their mind. They should be allowed to change their mind, right? Because, I mean, that's life, right? And we should help them to love their body mm. and eventually change their mind without having scars or irreversible surgeries. And then, of course, if they become adults and they're still of that idea, uh, it's fine. You know, and I know you, you think the same, right? So it's quite interesting to see how much some trans activists are um, obsessed in demonizing people who think have different beliefs because I know they're actually trying to picture you as a person who hates trans people, who hates children, who wants to harm them. Can you tell us more about all this harassment that you're receiving online? Yeah, I've, I've received a huge amount of abuse and, and I know, unfortunately, I'm not the only one. Um, you know, I think the first thing worth saying is that a lot of people these days aren't willing to have a conversation. So people who disagree with me, I'm fine for them to disagree with me, but let's have a conversation about it. Sure. Maybe we could learn something from each other. But you know, what I found with my university was that some of these individuals, without even speaking to me, go and make a complaint because what they want to do is they want to target somebody's reputation or even their livelihood because they're, they're not interested in having a discussion. Um, and they often resort to kind of you know, very abusive language which you know the, I've become more used to it over time which you know even saying that out loud seems quite odd because you should never have to become used to this exactly, type of stuff. Exactly, you shouldn't. Um, but it's a sign to me that the people saying it don't have any leg to stand on in terms of an actual argument because if they did have an argument they they tell you the, the the strongest points that they have but they don't. If they resort to calling you a bigot or a transphobe and that's it it, it's a sign to me that they have nothing else to offer yeah, on that discussion. But you're totally not a transphobe because uh, you have no phobia of trans people. And actually, I think you, uh, you've wrote about that, that you think that for some people, gender reassignment is actually the good way, right? The mm. good uh, path. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. seek to, for example, outlaw medical or surgical transitioning. All I've ever said is that it's a very sensitive, very complex issue affecting our children. It's our duty as adults to explore what is in their best interests rather than encouraging them down a certain path. But for some people, and particularly for adults, yeah. it might be the right approach. Um, and if it helps someone live a happier life, then so be it. But you know, we're in a strange scenario where children cannot, might not be able to vote, might not be able to drink alcohol, or smoke a cigarette or buy a lottery ticket, but they're able to take potentially irreversible, life-changing medication. I know. That doesn't make sense to me. It does not, absolutely. And, and also I feel sorry for some of their parents who are completely turned into this ideology because they're told that their children might commit suicide if they're not, you know, quickly turned into, you know, uh, surgery, cross-sex hormones. Uh, but you know that actually, unfortunately, uh, suicidal thoughts m might, you know, still be there mm. after the treatments because there is a lot of regret also. Uh, but many of them, they, they don't want to talk about that, correct? You spoke with many detransitioners, you told me, and they're too scared to come out 
Uh, I, I saw that myself, you know, they, they're actually scared to go on camera. I would love to interview them, uh, but they are too distressed and, uh, and they don't want to appear. They don't want to, to yeah. talk about what happened to them. Can you give them voice, please? Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Hmm. I mean, there's, there's quite a few reasons why, and, and there are a growing number of detransitioners you know, anecdotally, for example, on Redis, there's a there's a group for detransitioners. It's got twenty thousand people in it at the moment, which is a sign of the numbers we're dealing with. Um, but I'd say most members of the public have probably only heard of Kira Bell and maybe one or two others because yes, many of them are too afraid to speak out, and there's a few reasons for that. I mean, firstly, we have to remember what they've gone through, which is extremely traumatic in itself. You know, they've gone through this medication and this surgery that they were told would change their lives and actually they deeply regress it and they're left with potentially physical and emotional scars that will never heal. And I think many of them are really quite almost ashamed of who they've become. And I've spoken to some detransitioners who look at themselves in the mirror every day and they've lost their breasts, for example, and they feel utterly worthless because of it and because of what happened to their bodies. So I think many of them are too afraid to come out on camera. Also, there's a loss of demonization by many in the trans community of detransitioners that they're kind of told that, well, they were making it up all along or they weren't really trans. Um, it's almost denied the pain and suffering they've gone through. Yeah, and, and this, really, this is really terrible because, you know, we shouldn't silence anyone. Especially, you know, I think detransitioners, because I think they are the ones who might help us understanding more about what it is, gender identity and, you know, gender dysphoria. And also, I read a lot about autogynephilia, right? And uh, this affects mainly older men. But in their mm. case, actually having uh, surgery is bad for them because then suddenly they stop having the sexual need that actually made them turn in the first place. Mm. So I actually read a lot of uh, them, you know, complaining about that and regretting the operation they had to go through because the whole point for them of feeling the need of surgery was that, you know, they were feeling aroused, yes. imagining themselves as a, as a woman, but they were actually, you know, feeling women after the surgery because we all know that when a man you know has less testosterone is castrated you know i mean uh, uh, he, he doesn't have the same you know urge the same sexual need mm. that he had before it's quite a problem also for adults not only for children correct sure and it's it's not really surprising when we think about it because i mean we're often told that what matters is how you feel you know if you feel something you are it but the paradox is that there's a lot of activists out there calling for people to, the only way to be truly who you are is to have this surgery or medication to make you look as you should, as people expect you to in society. So people often take these cross-sex hormones, they have this surgery, and their bodies are changed to look more like the opposite sex, for example, but their minds aren't changed. And as we said earlier, there can be lots of contributing factors as to why people feel uncomfortable in themselves and in their own bodies. So it's not really surprising that actually we have so many people regressing this because we're, we're, we're treating a mental health condition with physical medication and, and surgery. Yeah. I, I read an article the other day written by someone from the trans community giving strategies for people who want to get cross-sex hormones. And these strategies include 
going to your GP but avoiding talking about mental health. So anytime the GP tries to discuss mental health with you, you change the subject. I come back to the fact that gender dysphoria is a mental health condition. We shouldn't be trying to sidestep it in order to get medication for people. Yeah, which are the other types of uh, dysphoria that one person can have? Well, I mean, you, people can feel a sense of unease in themselves and their bodies for all sorts of reasons. I mean, you, you spoke about anorexia earlier, but you know, that relates to kind of a wider issue of body dysmorphia, where yes. people have parts of the body that they, for whatever reason, think are ugly or are not happy with. I mean, there's another condition called body identity integrity disorder, and, and that's to do with people who feel that one of their limbs is wrong, that it doesn't belong to them. And often they'll go to a doctor and say they want a limb amputated, a perfectly healthy limb. But again, the, the correct treatment for that isn't to perform an amputation. I hope the doctors don't do that. Well, yeah. yes, and in this country we wouldn't. But if somebody comes through to a GP and to a gender clinic and says, I'm trans, I'm non-binary, the doctor may well perform a breast amputation. That's really, really, really concerning. And you know what, also this non-binary uh, identification. To me, as a feminist, you know, I, I always fought against stereotypes, gender stereotypes, because I think they're the biggest evil. So in my opinion, a woman, she can dress as she wish. Mm. If you want to get out, uh, you know, with your uh, short hair, you know, dressing like an army man uh, with your boots on, fine. You know, it's totally fine. But of course, you're still a woman, right? I would never think, oh, you're a man. And the same for a man, right? If you wish to go out, you know, with uh, high heels, with a, you know, a skirt. I wouldn't suggest high heels because I'm very uncomfortable. I don't wear them anymore, <laughs> but fine. If someone likes them, go for it. I think they're torture. It's completely fine. I don't think we should judge them for that, you know, and I don't think we should think, oh, you know, he's a woman just because he dressed like, you know, we are supposed to dress as women. So mm. I, I think feminists, they always wanted more open society without these stereotypes. And so I'm quite confused, you know, why non-binary people, they completely agree with gender identity ideology instead of actually saying, oh, look, the feminist movement always wanted that, you know, we shouldn't have a gender, you know, in the first place, you know, we are born with our, you know, biological sex. Mm. We deal with what we have, right? Hormones, you know, maternity, whatever, you know, we have to deal with. Uh, menopause, you know, <laughs> testosterone <laughs> decrease, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and then we move on, right? Without judging one each other. What do you think? I think the society would be much better without, you know, labeling everyone, mm. you know. Oh, you are etero or you're gay, you yeah. know, you are... Why we should do that? Well, that's a very good point. And I think as society, we were, we were moving down that path. We were becoming more accepting of people who are gender atypical, you know, more feminine boy or more masculine girl. Exactly. But we're, I feel that we're regressing back into stereotypes. I, again, I've read cases of very, very young children who, whose parents think that they must be trans. For example, I read an article about a four-year-old girl whose parents think that she must be trans because she likes the colour blue and she likes playing with boys' toys. I mean, th this is such regressive thinking. On the non-binary point, there's a, there's a children's charity called Mermaids yeah. um, who, who say that they support trans kids and their families, and they have a podcast, which I listen to, um, and a lot of what they say concerns me. But one of the questions to one of the hosts who themselves is non-binary was, how did you know you were non-binary? 
and the host said um, something along the lines of, "Well, I knew I wasn't really masculine, like a man." And she put on a she went like gra- like she growled, like I'm not, I'm not a man. But I also knew I wasn't really you know feminine, like. And I think she said either Shakira or Jennifer Lopez. I can't, I can't remember the singer that she named. But it's this idea that on one end of the spectrum, you've got these really macho action men. And on the other hand, you've got these beautiful feminine goddesses. All of us are elements of masculinity and femininity. And to suggest otherwise is, is disingenuous and, and quite damaging because it sends a message to children yeah. that if they're a young girl and they like doing boy things, or if they're a young boy and they like doing girl things, that they might be trapped in the wrong body. Yes, it's very, it's very damaging, I think, this uh, ideology, and it's very confusing, especially for vulnerable people. Because we all know that, unfortunately, especially children, uh, they might have other you know, issues like uh, autism, you know, anorexia, uh, being victim of sexual abuse. I, um, I read quite a lot about uh, the cases of children who hate their genitalia and their breasts because they were victims of abuse. So they actually end up hating what in their mind addressed, you know, the attention mm. of the abuser. Uh, and unfortunately, I sometimes I read these articles like, uh, you know, the latest one I read was about a child, uh, a boy, a four-year-old, something like that, who wanted to cut out his penis because uh, the mother thought because, you know, he's trans, because he's a girl but actually he might have been a victim of sexual abuse. And of course this is terrible, but I think we should really care more for these children, try to help them. Because if this is the case, as it might be, it's a tragedy. And you know, as an advocate for women's rights, I know that we should do more as a society to tackle domestic violence and you know, children abuse because they're much wider than we think. Social emergency, I would say. Well, some of the detransitioners that I've spoken to feel that they've kind of been abused by the system. You know, they they were in a crisis. They didn't feel right in their bodies, and they went to see therapists or or doctors, who basically, in their minds, encouraged them down this path that they now deeply regret. And you know, if that's the type of society we're living in, it's it's easier to understand why they feel almost kind of abused because I think nowadays people are far too politically correct and too afraid to kind of actually say, you know what, we need to have a conversation about this. Like people's people's well-being, their, their bodies, their minds are at stake here. People are too scared to say anything that could be perceived as transphobic. Yeah, you're right. And, and also there is a stigma with mental health, you know, and uh, I think it's terrible because uh, some of these trans activists, they get offended if you talk about gender dysphoria, you know, as a mental condition, but actually they shouldn't be offended because none of us should be offended, right, if we have a condition. I, I'm sure this, you know, whole case of being expelled uh, actually impacted in your own mental health. Can you tell us more if you had some effect after this mm. case? What happened to you? Yeah, I mean, when I first found out over that email, I I basically crumbled and I was, I was, I mean, I was inconsolable. And I'll never get the day out of my head, but I, I I was in an absolute state. I was in floods of tears for many days afterwards because I, my entire life was turned upside down. I mean, I had had this dream of being a therapist and helping people and it was obliterated over an email. So it took me a long time to kind of come out of that. Um, 
I'm starting to kind of get over the other side of that now, particularly because of all the fantastic support that I've had from people. But it had a huge impact on me. I've got a chronic medical condition. I've got Crohn's disease, which is a, a gut disorder, and it caused a, quite a significant flare-up of that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I've received a lot of abuse online as well, which, which doesn't help. So it, it's not been an easy time for me. But, you know, all of us go through peaks and troughs with our mental health over the course of our life. I mean, you know, life is, is so unpredictable and, and can be so difficult for many reasons. So we shouldn't be stigmatizing people with mental health conditions, but also it's important that we're able to talk about it in a really open and honest way. And I have a lot of activists who say, don't pathologize gender and, and don't pathologize transgenderism. But on the other hand, they are requesting medication and surgery you can't hold both of those things at once. Yeah. No. How, how can you not pathologize, but need strong prescriptive medication to deal with something? Exactly. And I think it's an, in their own interest to know more what this medication will cause in the long term, because I'm sure it might have an effect in their own health. And mm. another thing that I don't understand is that why we should be so fixed? Why we should decide one day, you know, oh, we are in the wrong body forever. Why they can't admit that you can actually change your mind? That you can have that you know, feeling maybe in your 20s and eventually in your 30s or 40s you might change mm. your mind. Don't you think the same? There is kind of a... But that's, that's another paradox because, yeah. I mean, we hear the term gender fluid, right? Yeah. So, so there's this idea that you can change how you feel any given moment. Yeah. But some of this medication and surgery is irreversible. Exactly. So again, you can't hold both those things at the one time. If you know, you're either completely fluid, in which case we shouldn't be going for irreversible surgery because you might change your mind, or we're not fluid. Exactly. And in which case we are our biological sex. So I, I find that to be a disingenuous argument. But yes, we're, we're putting a lot of pressure on young people to have to make a decision very early on. I mean, a, a lot of people say, you know, puberty blockers are very important because if you go through puberty and your genitals develop, then it's going to be far more difficult later down the line for you to deal with it. You know, you'll have to have more invasive surgery, for example. But what, what does a 10-year-old know of how they're going to feel when they're 18? They don't know anything. No one knows, honestly. I, I think, in my opinion, even at 18, you're too young, honestly. We all know that our brain develops, you know, when fully, when we are 25, as an example. So I think we should wait far more before taking this, you know, irreversible decisions. Well, I've got some friends who've spoken to me and said that when they were children, they were maybe gender atypical and that... That is good. Everyone yeah. should be gender yeah, atypical, good. in my opinion. Yeah. But, but, but at the time, they, they thought maybe they might have been trapped in the wrong bodies, etc. But this was so long ago that we weren't giving medication and surgery for this. And what happened was, over time, they just settled into themselves. Some of them came out as gay. Yeah. And they say to me now, James, I'm terrified because had I been that same young person in today's world, I would have transitioned yeah. and I would have regretted it. And they're terrified for young people today who aren't being given the chance to just grow and go through their puberty naturally yeah. and see if it's possible for them to settle into themselves. They're being denied that opportunity because they're being told you must start on puberty blockers. Parents are being told if you don't start them on puberty blockers they may be suicidal. It's so much pressure and this idea that you need to make a decision now 
but it's a decision as we've spoken about that could impact the rest of your life yeah many of them they're suicidal because they're highly depressed and unfortunately if you are depressed you are suicidal not only if you have gender dysphoria we all know mm. that so you actually need a good therapist correct in order to save you from your thoughts from your feelings it's, it's quite a very very uh, serious topic and I'm really glad you're so brave James because honestly you're quite young you're 29 yes. and you went through everything already and uh, you don't know what you will do because you were telling me that uh, you can't find another master you know uh, course uh, you know teaching during the weekends so you're kind of stuck and uh, so you know they might have changed your life forever and this is not good because I, I'm sure also they they kind of killed your dreams right yeah, I, I, I kind of don't know what my future holds now. And as I said, I, I was so close to setting up this private practice. I was so excited about it. Um, but I've become so concerned with the, with the therapy profession as a whole. Um, there's a lot of therapists I know who share my concerns. But the fact that, I mean, of all professions, one would think that the therapy profession should be willing to listen to other sides and to actually have some empathy for other people's yeah. arguments. But that... That hasn't happened at all. So I, I don't know what the future holds for me. But, you know, it's, I've suffered personally, but I'm glad that I spoke out because there's something very powerful about being true to yourself and yes. to your beliefs. And I think hiding away from them just yeah. to avoid being kind of caught out, um, that wouldn't feel right either. So I'm, I have no regrets over what's happened at all because I've been true to myself. Well done, James. As you know, we, we love to interview game changers. So I think in your you know, profession, you're definitely a game changer. And actually, I hope other therapists who are now too scared to speak up, they might change their mind and they might speak up. But we all know that this law uh, that wants to ban you know, uh, conversion therapy might actually destroy explorative therapy. Uh, it depends on the way it would be you know, drafted. Mm. So we all hope it won't do this because I, I know that a lot of therapists they will definitely stop you know risking their own profession their own life and so they will only affirm anyone you know will come inside telling them they're in the wrong body and then we will have more detransitions for sure regretting what happened of course in the long term but this is what will happen. Well, this legislation is, is so important. You know, it's, it's how I got involved in all of this in the first place. Um, the government have said positive things. You know, they responded to my petition in quite a positive way. What did they respond? They said that they would make sure that any legislation would protect free, freedom of speech, that it would protect children from making irreversible decisions, um, that it would uphold the independence of medical professionals. <clears throat> so those are all good things. But since the consultation has, has come out, and we're in the middle of the consultation period at the moment, <clears throat> there are some concerns about some of the language being used. The consultation itself feels rushed. I mean, most government consultations should take 12 weeks minimum. This is only six weeks. Yes. And the government haven't really explained why it is that they're rushing this through so quickly. Um, there's concerns about the language. I mean, they're wanting to introduce one piece of legislation for sexual orientation and gender identity, but as you know, these are two the very opposite. different things. No, they're the opposite. Hmm. Because, you know, if you affirm gender and you think that sex doesn't exist, then same-sex, you know, attraction 
Yeah, it calls that into question completely, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, doesn't exist. Mm. It's a philosophical dilemma, right? So, or you believe in biological sex and mm. same-sex attraction, or you believe in gender identity and gender attraction. Yeah. Same gender attraction, yeah. Yeah, so these things are being conflated. I mean, even the term conversion therapy is, is very misleading because all the studies show it almost exclusively takes place in religious setting or in a family setting. Yeah. But it tells members of the public that there's therapists up and down the country, trained therapists doing these awful practices. It's just not, it's not the truth. I never heard about that, honestly. Yeah. Never. It's very confusing, but that's why we need people like you, James. So I really hope whatever you will do in the future, that you will keep, you know, taking care of children safeguarding and uh, you will keep speaking up. I think you might also write a book about what happened <laughs> to you, <laughs> honestly. Of course, we have to see what's going on with your case court, right? Because uh, you definitely might win, not only for yourself, but for anyone for free speech. Well, this is it. I mean, I've been contacted by thousands of people, teachers, social workers, lawyers, doctors, who themselves are too afraid to speak out. And they, they donate to my case, and I'm very grateful for that because it, it makes them feel that they're being true to themselves. But I wish for all of these people and for all of your listeners as well that they find the courage somewhere to stand up for what they believe in because I, I know firsthand how difficult it can be and there can be a personal cost to it. But until more people start standing up and saying what they believe in, yeah. things are not going to change. Yes, absolutely. And also, James, you're doing that because you care. Because you care about children, because you care about people with gender dysphoria. It's very important to me to, to tell everyone, right, we invited you here, uh, not because you hate anyone. If not, we wouldn't have invited you. You don't hate anyone. You're actually a very good person, interested in Thank our you. people's life and uh, in their well-being because you met suffering people you know what they go through you met you know children who are very confused they're feeling a lot of pressure from society and you just want to help them yeah i i i, I mean i don't have children on my own but children as a whole i know how vulnerable they can be <clears throat> and how difficult life can be as a child particularly in this day and age um i'm very concerned for children's well-being and you know, with Childline, because Childline also expelled me. You know, I mentioned earlier I was a counsellor there for five That's years. That's terrible. Uh, that they expelled me and told me not to come in again. Because and of this? Yeah, I mean, it, basically, I, I wanted to be able to publicly identify myself as being a counsellor there, and they told me that I wasn't allowed to do that. Why? They do that <clears> with <throat> all the other counsellors, or no? No. I mean, they, they said to me it was because they were worried that it was kind of... Um, it would put children off coming through to them. But but I, I, I think it has to be that they simply don't agree and don't like my beliefs around this, and they just disagree with them. But I, I, I volunteered there for, for almost six years every week, and you know, hearing that I was expelled from there was, was one of the most distressing things because it's it was the most important thing in my life, actually. Oh, I'm so sorry, James. And that happened last May as well? Yeah, it happened a few weeks after I was expelled from the university course. So it, it was a difficult few weeks. And I, every, every Thursday night, which is when I used to go to Childline, I, you know, I look at the clock and I think I should be there. I should be there helping these young people. But um, I'm not able to at the moment and I, I find that very difficult. I really hope they will change their mind and they will call you back.
because I'm sure you can be a, you know, a great added value. And please let us know actually how we go with your court case and with child line because I want to support you as much as I can and I know there are a lot of people out there supporting you as much as they can and I hope also a lot of people will look at your Twitter account and your page on crowdfunding and they will donate to your cause. I know you already raised uh, a lot of money but of course you still need a lot of money because you have to pay for the legal fees correct? Yeah uh, litigation isn't uh, cheap I know. Um, people have been very generous. I mean, I've, I've raised over £70,000. Um, but, but the case looks like it could be a bit more complex and a bit longer than we first thought. So yes, I, I, I do need to continue raising money for it. But I'm very thankful to people because if they hadn't donated, I simply wouldn't be able to seek justice at all. Yes. And you're working right now, right? Yeah, I work in the public sector. Um, so I've, I've got a job. I've got my livelihood, which keeps a roof over my head. That's good. Um, Did some transactivists try to uh, ruin <coughs> your uh, actual work as, as well or no? Um, I, I can't say too much about this, but in one word, yes, uh, there were kind of complaints made and there was a process that I had to go through. But oh thankfully, the process was followed and as far as I'm aware, my, my job is safe. So you are still receiving hate online? Every day, yeah. Every day? Yeah. And you read all of them or you try to avoid reading what they write? Um, I, see, I see a lot of it. I mean, a lot of them want me to see it. Um, and I've, I've got a certain tolerance for things, but, but there's some comments that will cross the line. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't stand by and allow people to say these things about me, you know, particularly because I went into this to help children. Um, but some of the things that people say, it's just, it's, it's so horrible. They accuse you of the opposite. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they yeah, accuse me of the, of the exact opposite. Um, and it's, it's, it's very distressing to read, but you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not the only one. And I know there's plenty of other people out there who are suffering the same, or if not worse, sometimes. You know, thankfully I haven't experienced death threats, for example. Um, but I know that happens, especially to many women, to many feminists, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of women have some absolutely horrific things being said to them. Um, as I said, I try and tell myself that it just means these people don't have a leg to stand on. And it, it reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing as well, actually, because um, I think it'd be very easy for me to just say, to hell with this, I don't want to suffer this abuse. But actually, it's important that we move past this. And even if things come at a personal cost to me, yeah. it's... If I believe it's in the interests of society, if I believe it's in the interests of children, I need somehow to try and just rise above it. James, thank you. Because you're standing up not only for yourself, but for all the victims of bullying. You know, bullying online, harassment, abuse. So you are really an example and a role model. Thank okay. you so much. James, the last question. What would you say to our Prime Minister if you could talk to him? Hmm, probably quite a lot, actually. Uh, I'm sure it would be a long conversation, but I think the, the issues of sex and gender and free speech are completely intertwined, actually. Um, and I think this affects such a wide spectrum across society. We've got the gay community who are worried about what's happening to gay children. 
we've got feminists and women out there worried about women's rights, about women's safe spaces. We've got parents concerned about what their children are being taught at school. And we've got children in this mix, some of whom are being put down a potentially irreversible and damaging medical path they might regret for the rest of their lives. So this is an issue that affects all aspects of society. So I would just say to him, Prime Minister, please do not rush this legislation. Please take time to listen to all areas of society because the stakes are far too high for us to get this wrong. Thank you, James. Thank you for your time. Thank we were you. waiting for you here. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for being here with us today. I hope you were interested about uh, this story and I really hope you will help and support James. Please go to his Twitter page and uh, to his crowdfunding account and uh, donate. Support him, share with your friends. And also don't forget to share this episode on all your social media and come back next week for new guests. Thank you and bye. <laughs>